Welcome to Winston and Strong's Let's Talk Lending podcast. I am Jeffrey Stern. I am a structured finance partner in the New York office. I am delighted to be joined today by Pete Morgan and Francisco Flores, who are partners in the structured finance practice, as well as Claude Serfilippi, who is a partner in the Latin America practice. Today, we will be discussing consumer loans in Latin America and the Caribbean. So welcome one and all. I thought that it might be a good place to start by talking a little bit for our audience about the structured finance practice. One of the things that is unusual about our practice, as you guys are well aware, is that our practice really focuses uh, bespoke transactions and tailored financing solutions. We tend to focus less on mature asset classes and more on the how do you build it sort of transactions and you know work with a lot of clients figuring out how to most efficiently finance different kinds of unusual or emerging categories of financial assets. So we do a lot of work with specialty finance companies. We work with all forms of consumer loans and business loans as, as well. We do a lot of work with all kinds of trade receivables and lots of different kinds of operating assets, uh, equipment, uh, aircraft, patents. Pete, Francisco, did I, I miss any key part of the package that we um, work on in the in the um, structured finance area? No, I think that was pretty good coverage. Yeah. I would say that if there is a unique or esoteric asset that you're looking into and, and you have questions, we're happy to take a look at it, give you our feedback, let you know what we think maybe the legal issues and how to tackle them and, and invest some research and development time to try to make sure that we look at the asset and give you our feedback as to how to best approach it. Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great point, Francisco. I, I would add that that was a kind of um, a very a list of highlights, but you know we also cover a range of insurance assets, including life settlements, and our you know probably the leading law firm in the in the area of PACE, which is a, a, a green or new energy kinds of uh, kind of asset class. The topic today has to do with an intersection between structured finance and financial needs in Latin America and the Caribbean. As this audience may or may not know, structured finance has been a key element, in some ways surprising. Uh, the important element for finance in, the, in Latin America and the Caribbean for decades. I started really doing work in Mexico in the early 90s when it was really just in its infancy, but it's had a long and storied history. Originally, structured finance was a tool to help Latin American and Caribbean companies issue securities or, or raise debt where they could get ratings that were higher than the sovereign ratings at a time when Latin America and most Latin American and Caribbean companies or countries, excuse me, had below investment grade ratings. That's less of an issue today where a number of Latin American countries are, are rated at investment grade or higher. And so increasingly this is you know, used as a tool to give investors access to or exposure to Latin, Latin American and Caribbean financial assets. Anything to add in there, Francisco or, um, uh, or Pete? I would say that it's a, it's, this is an exciting time because we're seeing a lot of interest in the region. And unlike other times where there has been high interest in the region, this time there's also interest from 
funding sources or financial institutions who are local to Latin America who are also looking into the U.S. to diversify their portfolio and their investments and to take advantage of migration patterns. Well, uh, that's that's all. I agree that it is a an extremely interesting time in the Latin American and Caribbean financial markets and their relationship to U.S. and international markets. To sort of take us deeper into that, I'd like to more formally introduce Claude Serfilippi, a, a good friend, a wonderful partner, and one of the corporate partners working in our fantastic Latin America practice, Latin America Caribbean practice. Uh, Claude, can you tell us and, and our audience a little bit about that practice? Sure, happy to, Jeffrey. Thank you. We really do have here at Winston an award-winning Latin American practice group. We have more than 35 professionals that are focusing on Latin America. Many of these people are nationals of or who have or have strong links with countries across the region. I, I think the LATAM practice at Winston got a very big boost about four years ago. And at that time, myself and nine other partners basically took what was then the Latin American and Caribbean practice group at our then existing firm, Chad Warren and Park, and moved it over to Winston. And I think it's important to note the depth and the experience that we have as a group is very broad. So, you know, while I'm a partner doing, you know, largely debt capital markets, securitizations, financings of, of that type, whether it be 144A, Reg S, 4A2, or any other type of distribution. We have other partners and experts in the group who are focusing on M&A in Latin America, focusing on private equity, representing sponsors that are interested in just buying assets in Latin America, representing public companies, Latin American public companies, so-called foreign private issuers with their SEC issues. And indeed it goes and even includes representations on litigation and disputes. So it's very much a multidisciplinary group that we have here at Winston that's focusing on, on Latin America. I think like the structured finance group though, on the transactional side, we tend to focus on higher value bespoke transactions, you know, tailored financial solutions. Not to say we can't do the cookie cutter deals, but the types of deals I think where we add more value are those deals that really need a little bit of independent thought and need to be tweaked because of the specific, whether it be regulatory tax or issues facing a particular jurisdiction in Latin America. I think, like the Structure Finance Group, we tend to enjoy those types of transactions more. And certainly what we've seen certainly over the last you know, 12 or 18 months is really working more closely and integrated with the Structure Finance Group on these types of cross-border transactions. That's a um, that's a great overview, and Claude, it's, I have to say we feel very um, fortunate to have uh, such a fantastic partnership with that team. One of the things that I've been seeing, I, I, and I'm sure that you and Francisco have much to say about that as well, is an increasing uh, interaction between 
the structured finance team and the LATAM team, where there's been, I think, a growing uh, level of both activity in the space in the marketplace, but also kind of a cross-pollination between our respective groups. In the last six months, we've had many opportunities to work together, both in terms of joint pitches, sort of going out there and winning new work together, but then, of course, also staffing and, and executing and, and complementing each other in terms of execution of a particular deal. And Francisco, just following up on that point, you know, I we've talked about this, but I'd be interested in hearing you elaborate upon the reasons you think there has been an increasing focus by U.S. and kind of international capital markets investors on Latin America. I think there are a number of factors that are causing capital to look into Latin America. First, it's uh, the high liquidity that is present in the markets. There is a large amount of capital that is looking to be deployed and put to work. And so people are turning and looking into Latin America as an area where capital can be put to work. Second, the transactions in Latin America typically have a higher yield. And so that makes them attractive. And in evaluating those transactions, I think that professionals in, in, in the banking sector and in the investment community have determined that it's a good risk return ratio. And so the area has become increasingly attractive. Just to add to that, I mean, I think this question of the excess of liquidity that we've been experiencing really outside of the capital markets crisis of 2008, you know, that's been kind of ongoing for 20 years as probably merits a podcast in and of itself. But there's no question that one of the things that has done is created a real search for investors for value and for appropriate yield up, you know, for a given rate of risk. And, and I do think, going to your point, that Latin America is, although it's gotten more competitive, is slightly a less competitive market. And the ratio of, of return on investment or return for risk uh, may seem to be better. I also think it merits mention that many of the Latin American jurisdictions have updated their legal infrastructure in ways that permit the structuring of bankruptcy remote entities and that basically accommodate the you know, structured finance arrangements in a way that are satisfactory to international investors. That's definitely true, Jeffrey. I mean, if you look at, for example, Panama's LLC law, we know that's based off of Delaware's LLC law. A lot of jurisdictions have actually gone to the assumed that even true in the Cayman Islands, their Cayman Island laws based off of Delaware's LLC law. A lot of the jurisdictions are working with Americans and adopting laws that are familiar to Americans, which facilitates their ability to get the risk adjusted returns that they want. So I think one of the things that makes Latin America attractive is that there isn't a ton of liquidity, but what they're looking for is sophisticated structuring to prevent undue risk, risk that we can properly address as council while obtaining those returns due to the lack of liquidity. And so I think that has been one of the things that we've been able to do so well for many of our clients who've approached us about some of these transactions. I think that's exactly right. The one downside is that I do think Latin America deals may take longer, in some cases at least. Maybe you can talk a little bit about some of the kinds of transactions that you've seen and we can sort of go uh, sort of around the room here and, and get some feedback just so the listeners can have a sense of 
can have a sense of the kinds of things that we at least are seeing in the structured finance team and the, and the LATAM team and, and sort of across the two of us, across the two groups. Sure, I'll start real quick. I mean, the most recent thing that we've done in the Caribbean and Latin America involved the securitization of an unsecured consumer lending platform that focused in those jurisdictions. It was a highly complex transaction that involved more than a half dozen countries. It obviously involved multiple currencies, various regulatory regimes, withholding tax issues that had to be structured. We worked pretty diligently with local council, as well as the, in this case, we represented the underwriter with issuers council to come up with a tax efficient structure that did not trip the regulatory requirements and had embedded within it the necessary currency swaps to make the deal work from a risk management perspective. One of the other major features that we had to consider when working on the deal is that obviously these are short duration loans and the deal is intended to evolve. So we had to come up with mechanics to permit the term securitization, again, this was not a private transaction with banks, to manage to continue to revolve in a way that worked for the company's daily operations so that they could continue to provide short-term loans to residents of places like Panama, Bonaire, Curaçao, and Aruba, for example. So there was uh, quite a bit of complexity in structuring it. It was wound up becoming the second time we've done this transaction for this client, and they were exceedingly successful. They got great pricing for it, and we expect that there's actually going to be repeat transactions, uh, just given how successful the outcome was for both the clients. First of all, it's a fantastic transaction. I just think it highlights several aspects of, of what we do and what is needed for these kind of cross-border transactions. So first of all, you know, this really is a true case of financial solution for a company that gave them access to financing that is very unlikely to be obtained outside of, of a highly structured arrangement. It also shows Winston kind of having the chops, the nuance, to be able to manage and sort of work with local council, many of whom may not be quite as sophisticated and familiar with structured finance transactions and, and help them think through the local law issues. Uh, you know, so there's always this interaction in these cross-border deals between international practices and US law and or New York law and, and the local law. And last but not least, this had a this was a situation where really you had to work with a complex operational element to it. So this isn't just dealing with QCIPs or or some kind of an academic exercise, but you have a company that is working across many jurisdictions with local lending and to be able to do a financial solution that works operationally requires a deep commercial sense, which is one of the skills I think our team brings to these deals. So uh, anyway, kudos on, on closing that. I'll just mention briefly because it's sort of of a kind, but uh, I also just recently closed uh, my second consumer loan transaction, unsecured consumer loan transaction in Puerto Rico. These were two completely different sponsors. The most recent one was interesting in that it payments were, were made by payroll and pension deductions. So they were payments in the loans were deducted straight out of payrolls to municipal workers or their pension payments. And I just mentioned that in particular because again, it shows how closely we had to work with local regulatory council to make sure that the structure which was you know, highly bespoke, worked not only for the financing, but also to make sure we didn't trip up the regulatory regime, which allowed for the payroll deductions. 
Francisco, you want to maybe talk about some of your deals and then we'll we'll move to Claude with some of the things that he's been doing out of the, the LATAM team. Absolutely. So what I've been doing is a lot of financing into the region by lenders in the US who are providing warehouse financing to originators of consumer loans. And so there is a lot of activity in that sector where you know capital from the US has found platforms who are developing in Mexico, Colombia, Peru, Argentina, and a lot of the of the major markets in Latin America. And so capital is flowing for warehouse transactions in those jurisdictions. Another interesting trend that I have seen is capital from Latin America coming into the US to diversify their holdings and to provide a sort of natural hedge so that they can have some of their capital invested in hard currency and some of their capital invested in local currency. So that's a trend that uh, it's interesting and, and I hadn't seen in, in quite a while. And the last thing that I would say is that we've also seen opportunities of lenders who have been in the market for quite some time and who are willing to transfer some of the risk to new lenders to the market so that if a new lender is interested in, in entering into the market, they can join an existing transaction with an existing, an existing structure with a well-recognized lender. And that way they can have some access to the higher yields and that type of risk without having to do all the work of new infrastructure and everything else that goes with being a new market participant. That's, that's fascinating, Francisco. So it really allows new participants in the market in a way that's relatively gentle because they're going into a transaction that's somewhat seasoned where sort of the, the structural pipes have been already tested. I also just wanted to mention when you refer to warehouse financing, and, and I probably should have mentioned this in my Puerto Rico transaction, what we're talking about, I think, is not necessarily a temporary facility that's intended to warehouse for a subsequent capital markets deal, but essentially a revolving credit facility, or it could be a term credit facility that is an alternative to a bond offering like Pete's transaction. These deals can be executed through a, an indenture and the issuing of notes into the capital markets, or quite frequently they're executed through a syndicated or non-syndicated revolving facility, so you know, through a credit agreement. And, and I think that's what Francisco, you were referring to uh, when you referred to a warehouse financing. That's correct. And Claude, I know that you have been increasingly seeing a flow of securitization and structured finance transactions coming from your side. Again, some of them, our teams are working together, but I, I know that you've been doing some of them also away from us. Perhaps you could talk about a couple of the deals you've done recently. Sure, happy to. I think one good deal that I think is very representative of the kinds of things that we're seeing, I closed that in the first quarter of this year. And it was really a future flow securitization for one of our Mexican clients, Grupo Electra. And basically, Grupo provides a remittance services to companies in the US, pursuant to which those companies, uh, on behalf of their customers, are able to remit money directly to Mexico. So think uh, Western Union companies like that, they have obviously points of sale throughout the United States. Someone, and probably a Mexican-American, wants to send pesos back to you know a friend or a relative in Mexico. They walk into the Western Union, you know, deposit dollars, and then you know, within several hours, you know, pesos appear on the other end in, in Mexico. So this this type of remittance 
really saw quite a significant increase during COVID. The result was that the transaction was significantly over collateralized. Uh, seeing something like hundreds of millions of dollars per month being remitted through its systems to Mexico. Uh, as a result of this, you know, we were able to get an investment grade rating for the transaction. So I think that's one good example. Another one is the red dorsal financing, which was really an infrastructure financing for the build out across Peru of a fiber backbone network. And used a structure, an RPI structure, uh, which basically allows the sponsor to get periodic payments as they meet certain milestones in the completion of the project. And those payments come in the form of basically IOUs, the local acronym is RPI, which are obligations on the government to pay in the future. And basically we monetize those RPIs to help finance the project. And that deal actually won Telecom Deal of the Year by IJ Global and, and Best Bond of the Year for, for Latin Finance. So I think those are two examples of the types of things that we're seeing coming out of uh, Latin America. Those are obviously fantastic deals, Claude, and uh, kudos for bringing those across the finish line. We talked a little bit of, in preparing for this podcast, we talked a little bit about kind of what this combination of team of teams brings to the LATAM market and structuring, including, you know, kind of our knowledge of the, the region and the way we work with local council, or we have many, many close ties and, and relationships. But maybe Francisco and, and Claude, you can say just a couple of words about this. I think our time is, is nearing an end, but maybe we say a couple of words about the particular character of a lot of these LATAM securitizations and, 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 and Caribbean securitizations and what combined LATAM and securitization teams, structured finance teams bring to the table. Happy to. Sure. So I think that uh, when when dealing with Latin America, a lot of the the business that is being done then there is uh, is dependent a lot on, on relationships. So it's it's relationship driven, and and so we we are very fortunate in our groups to have a very extended network of, of local councils and relationships that go back decades. And so we're able to identify, quickly identify the appropriate local council to utilize and, and discuss the appropriate structure to put in place. And so that's an advantage that comes from having a, a dedicated group of people who, who know both structure finance and who have been working in the area for quite a long time. And so that's, that's I think, uh, an advantage that, is, that comes with having a large group of, of professionals who have been doing business in the area for quite quite a long time. Yeah, that, that's right, Francisco, and, and I think you're right. I mean, Latin America is incredibly relationship-driven when it comes to uh, to transactions, and, and I think certainly our group's long-standing experience across the region, I think, really inures to the benefit of our clients. And I think one good example of this is the LLM internship program, which 
we have now been doing for, you know, well over 25 years. We, we successfully did it at our prior firm and we continue to do it at Winston. And basically what happens is after a local lawyer completes his or her LLM degree in the U.S., uh, we give them an opportunity to work with us for half a year, a year as an intern working side by side with our New York qualified lawyers. And they're going to be getting a steady diet of cross-border deals, probably more than they would be getting at their local firm. And then after that internship, they basically go back to their local firm in Argentina, Colombia, or Peru. Since we've started this program, we literally have well over 100 LLM interns that have now returned to Latin America, gone on to be partners in local firms, or have gone in-house to financial institutions or companies across Latin America. And we maintain and continue to develop that relationship. And when we're down in a country doing marketing efforts, meeting clients and potential clients, we always set up cocktail with the interns in that particular jurisdiction, and it allows us to refresh and keep that relationship going. So I, I think that's just an example of how we've been able to capitalize on relationships for the benefit of our clients, and we can bring those relationships to bear on, on a specific deal. Just before we close, I would also add, Claude, that because you and your team have been active in the region so long and in really in almost every jurisdiction in, in Latin America, there is a level of trust that I think to close a deal in Latin America is absolutely critical uh, because I think relationship driven, you know, that, that phrase is really, I think, a shorthand for trust. And so I think that's something that you and other partners in, in your group have earned over a very long period of time. And I think uh, it does allow you to get things done because I think for Latin America, a lot of what is important in bringing a partner into a transaction is that level of trust. Yeah, I agree 100%, uh, Jeffrey. I think our time is coming to an end. So I'm just going to take a moment to thank you, Claude and, and Pete and Francisco uh, for joining me today. And thank you all for listening to Let's Talk Lending Podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast via Apple, iTunes, or Google, or by visiting the Winston & Strong website for more insights on the latest market updates and trends in the practice area, the finance practice area. Thank you again all. It was a pleasure speaking with you, Pete, Claude, and Francisco, and I will see you in the office. Thank you.